We are so uh, privileged and honored to have today the Reverend Dr. Douglas Webster. He is the Professor of Divinity at Beeson Divinity School uh, over in Homewood. Uh, We're so glad to have you here. And Dr. Webster will preach after we sing hymn number 474, omitting verse 2. Our scripture reading is from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. John 19 and beginning in verse 16. Before I read, let me just give a word of welcome and greeting from Beeson Divinity School. There are so many people from the Advent that have been a blessing to our school. And we are very grateful for your Christ-centered, Word of God-centric congregation and the influence that you have been upon us as a Divinity School. The Gospel of John, 19th chapter, beginning to read in verse 16. Listen carefully, this is God's word. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. And here they crucified him along with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate. Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross, Jesus stood. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Let's pray together. Lord God, in these few moments with the word open before us, We do ask that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us in obedience to your word, in gratitude to your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Father, and in the Spirit, this Lord's Day. Amen. I'm involved in a church in Manhattan, Central Presbyterian Church, and this Lenten series has been spent in the Seven last statements of Jesus from the cross. It's unusual in a way for a congregation, you share this passion, to be really near the cross for seven Sundays. There is an intensity about that nearness. 
I would like to share with you the third word from the cross. Dear woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, he says, here is your mother. During Advent, we read from the prophet Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then, during Holy Week, we read that the soldiers took charge of Jesus. That's just one of the paradoxes that brings us to this third word from the cross. John begins his description of the crucifixion by saying that the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Well, And this is literally true, but is it altogether true? He's stripped of his clothes. He's nailed to the cross. He's crucified between two known criminals. But does anyone really take charge of Jesus? From the cross, Jesus has the freedom to forgive. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He has the freedom to redeem. Today you will be with me in paradise. He has the freedom to lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The freedom to finish well, it is finished. The freedom to commend his spirit into the Father's hand. You recall that Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. As we go through life, many people take charge of us. Parents take charge of us. Bosses take charge of us. Teachers, doctors, preachers take charge of us. Enemies take charge of us. Families take charge. Congregations and politicians take charge. People exercise all kinds of power over us. But know this, that when the Lord was betrayed, denied, forsaken, accused, mocked, beaten, nailed, crucified... Even then, he had the freedom to forgive, to love, to pray, to obey, to be his redeeming self. You see, there is a freedom that the Lord gives that under no circumstances can be denied, no excuses given. For the power of the gospel to be understood and displayed in the life of the believer. Jesus on the cross lives out that gospel even though everything has been taken away from him. There is this paradox of bondage and freedom right there at the cross. The second and third statements from the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. And then followed by, dear woman, behold your son, show something of the scope of this gospel. 
You know, that popular saying, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Jesus shows that if you're truly heavenly minded, then you are of immense earthly good. This third word from the cross is a word of human affection and love. This, too, is the testimony of the incarnation. Even as Jesus offers himself as an atoning sacrifice for sin, he cares for his mother. The Great Commission is not separated in any way from the Great Commandment. The command to go, to love our neighbor as ourselves, but also the commission to go and make disciples of all nations. So there is this paradox between bondage and freedom. And those who follow Jesus, thus, have really very little excuse in the extremity of circumstances not to do what our Lord has done in extending forgiveness, in showing love, in sharing our lament. Around the cross, too, are friends and foes. Pilate is there near the cross, but not in person. But he is there in effect by the sign that's posted above Jesus' head, the King of the Jews. And there are others there near the cross that have wanted to see justice done because of Jesus the blasphemer has been sentenced and crucified. There are many more foes near the cross than there are friends. But there are friends, too. Four women and a disciple who's made his way back to the cross. Most people near the cross were far from Jesus, but these four women, Mary and Salome, and Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, that too is a paradox, friend and foe, bondage and freedom. And at no point... Do you see the humiliation that is imposed on Jesus greater than right here at the cross? And yet I'd suggest to you at no point do we see the greater humility of our Lord and Savior. Again, shame and compassion drawn into this tight situation. Pilate has said just in the passage, just before we, the passage we read, here is your king. And that has got to be in the mind of the evangelist as he writes this, Dear woman, here is your son. The contrasting voice of the heralding authority and power, here is your king, mocking in doing so. And the compassion that is expressed by Jesus, dear woman, here is your son. Everything has been stripped away from Jesus. Everything. The truth was first, followed by justice. His dignity was stripped from him, followed by all decency. And the last to go was his clothes. Dale Bruner, in his masterful new commentary on the Gospel of John, says that there is a reserve here by the Gospel writers, not drawing attention to what was probably the obvious fact that Jesus was naked. But even in that situation of extreme humiliation, there is the passion of Jesus to care for his mother.
There's another incident in the Gospel of John that specifically refers to Mary. It's interesting that only these two are there. And that's at the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee when again Jesus said, Woman, dear woman, my hour has not yet come. And now, dear woman, here is your son. The hour has come. The hour is climaxing. And in that hour, Jesus shows compassion and love for his mother. He is not so distracted by the humiliation that he cannot show compassion. The wonderful counselor takes hold of this situation. Remarkable. And expresses this compassion in a way that, you know, you could look at this and say, well, Jesus had 40 days after the resurrection to do this. To care for sort of the family relations aspect. Why does he do it while he is nailed to the cross? And isn't this a reflection of love's priority and love's timing? And he isn't managing a situation. Notice that he speaks first to Mary, his mother. Dear woman, behold your son. And then he gives a parallel expression. Loves mutuality when he speaks to John, the disciple whom he loved. And John would have been content with that being said of each and every disciple, the disciple whom he loved. Disciple, behold your mother. It speaks of love's capacity at the darkest hour to extend oneself for the sake of the other, And here in that nucleus, where two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, there I am in the midst of them, the church is formed. The church is formed at the foot of the cross, with a word of love, a word of compassion. Charles Spurgeon, in writing on this word from the cross, the third word, writes, Those who love Christ best shall have the honor of taking care of his church and of his poor. Never say of any poor relative or friend, the widow or the fatherless, they're a great burden to me. Oh, no. Say they are a great honor to me. My Lord has entrusted them to my care. John thought so. Let us think so. Jesus selected the disciple he loved best to take his mother under his care, and he selects those whom he loves best today and puts his poor people under their wing Take them gladly, treat them well. Augustine saw this as an opportunity that Jesus took in order to turn the cross into a pulpit and to speak to the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. And Jesus had already spoken into this particular concern when he chided the religious leaders for using their own kind of law, self-righteous law, against caring for their family. But Jesus proves that a family responsibility is consistent with a gospel responsibility. And he proves that on the cross. I mean, we, I know we assume that John goes on to have a very powerful ministry. I believe he wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the letters that are attributed to him. And John speaks out of the depth of his theology, and yet here he's given an assignment as he leaves the cross to care for Jesus' mother. 
A mother who, through the trajectory of being mother, has now become disciple, walks away from that cross in the company of a fellow disciple who has taken on the responsibility to care for her. Do you think that the woman who wrote the Magnificat in her teenage years stopped thinking theologically? I imagine the conversations between the Apostle John and Mary, the first disciple. Now, I can identify with this text in a particularly personal way. My dad died at the age of 48. And most of my mother's adult life was spent as a widow. And while we have traveled a great deal from church to church, she has always, we've always moved her with us. My brother lives in Asia, so it really fell to myself to do that. We moved her from Wheaton to Bloomington, Indiana, from Bloomington, Indiana to Denver, Colorado, from Denver, Colorado to San Diego, California. A very caring and compassionate elder in the church in California gave her a flat to use within blocks of our urban church in downtown San Diego. My wife and I helped to support her financially. My brother has as well. And uh, three days a week, I would go, after spending an hour at church, I would go over to her home for breakfast. Every sermon I preached for 14 years was vetted by my mother. And sometimes I would leave her apartment vowing to myself, I will never share with her another sermon as long as I live. But then on Sunday morning, she would say, Doug, I was wrong. You were called to preach. I wasn't. The Lord spoke through you today. So I, can, I feel I can have some sense of what that John-Mary relationship was like. I agree with Spurgeon. What maybe we call a burden is really a blessing. It is an honor. When my mother died and I preached the memorial service, I think there were a number in our congregation who believed that my best work had been the work to care for my mother. And I wonder if when I greet the Lord at the end of my life, if he will not say, Doug, the first thing you did right was to care for your mother. This, I believe, because of the third word from the cross. The word that stands right alongside that gospel invitation, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The word of salvation, today you will be with me in paradise. That atonement declaration, it is finished. Do you and I honestly expect to show up near the cross and not walk away with an assignment? I like Pastor Kent Yu's take on this. He says that those to whom God loves, he invests with responsibility. And really a sign of the people who are in need of our help and our love is a sign that the Lord honors us in our love for him. Now, I know in your tradition, you're always running to the table. I love that about you. And at Central Press in New York, we celebrate Holy Eucharist at the end of every Sunday morning worship service. I'm always concerned about text to table. My text to table truth from this passage is that this too is just as much a part of salvation. 
And Christ's atoning sacrifice has empowered us to be able to show this love and this compassion. And he extends our family. Remember, Jesus said, no one who's given up mother or father, brothers or sisters, fields, everything in your life for me and for the gospel's sake will not yet receive a hundredfold in this life and in the next. So we leave the table, as it were, with the honor and the responsibility to love as Christ loved. Dear woman, behold your son, and to his disciples, son, behold your mother. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your love and for your mercy, how you've shown it all the way through, that nothing could distract, no excuse could be intended that would take away from your love and your compassion. May you strengthen us as sisters and brothers in Christ to be involved in this kind of love and this kind of compassion for your honor and for your glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.